But um, this week, um, I'm going to go on to a topic that I didn't really know what to talk about. Normally, we have series, and, and I'm all prepared months in advance, but this one, I was like, you know what? We'll get there, and we'll see what happens. And so, uh, as I was sitting down, thinking about what should I speak about this week, one thing about what Pastor Phil said last week stuck with me, and that's that whole idea of, you know, the Bible tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger. And then he talked about how you can forgive um, someone, uh, maybe your spouse, when you are having that conflict in that night um, uh, or whenever that time that you have, put the issue aside, but forgive so that the anger is not stealing from your rest and stealing from your relationship, and then you can come back to the issue. And I was like, wow, you know, not many people have ever said that before. Like, wow, you can actually forgive in the middle of a conflict, and then you can deal with the issue after. And I was like, great, so what does forgiveness look like? Do you just go, okay, we need to forgive each other. You say sorry first. Is that what it looks like? You say, no, you say sorry. All right, let's say it again. One, two, three. Sorry. And then it's all done. It's all, you, you know, the anger is gone and you're like floating on cloud nine and you get to sleep and then you go, you know what? It was so silly yesterday. No, I don't think that's how it works. I think that there's something far greater and deeper that we need to understand about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't about an emotional experience. Forgiveness goes far deeper than that. And in in the Bible, that's what we're going to look at today. What does forgiveness look like? What is forgiveness all about? And I'll be honest, I thought that, you know, Beck and I, between us, we've spoken about forgiveness before. And I thought that, yeah, you know, we covered it. This might just be a reminder kind of a thing. But as I looked into it, I discovered that I probably had my view of forgiveness a little bit skewed. And as I go through today, I hope that I will show you um, what I think that the Bible actually teaches us about forgiveness and what we need to do about forgiveness. And um, the key thing that I've discovered about forgiveness this week is how Jesus talks about it. Jesus talks about forgiveness very often with the word debt. We see this in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You know, there's a debt. Um, and, and, and Jesus is actually really strong about this because he, this is in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me as I forgive others. And then he goes on to explain later, if I don't forgive others, there's a problem with this as well. And there is this debt economy that I think that we enter into as when we are born. <laughs> we are in this economy where um, debts are accumulated. And we have to learn how to deal with it. And so Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 18, and he gives us this parable about forgiveness. And it says this in verses 21 to 35. It's a bit long. Let me read it to you. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, when Peter is saying that, we need to understand that in the Hebrew context, seven is a number of perfection. He didn't just pull this out of his head. He was saying, I'm going to perfectly forgive someone. And then Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You need to be perfectly perfect with your forgiveness. And this is kind of crazy because Jesus never tells us to religiously do stuff. He he rarely does. 
he tells us that there is worship and there's all these kind of things, but, but when it comes to this issue of forgiveness, he's like, you better be perfectly perfect about this. There's something that is really important about forgiveness that we need to understand. And so Jesus, in helping um, his disciples understand forgiveness, he goes on to say and teaches parables, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be com- uh, compared to a king who, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now what we need to understand is the kingdom of heaven is what we are living in, uh, we have entered into nowish. I say nowish because the kingdom of heaven is here and is also coming. The kingdom of heaven is basically wherever God has reign and rule, and it's something that has started, and it's something that will be accomplished um, at the end of time, as we call it, Judgment Day, whatever uh, reference point you have there. The kingdom is coming, and we experience a sense of it, a glimpse of it, a part of it, and it is going to fully come. So when Jesus tells us parables about the kingdom of heaven, Basically, if I can say it this way, he is saying, this is how you are meant to live. This is the part of the kingdom that you are now a part of. Well, this is the kingdom that you're a part of. And so this is the culture of the kingdom. You have got citizenship in this kingdom if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So this is your kingdom. This is how your kingdom, the, the, uh, where you have citizenship, how it operates. And so he goes on to say, um, the king wished to settle accounts with his, with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him. Denarii compared to talent, by the way, is much, much smaller. Um, I forgot to do the research into the the difference, but it's, it's a tiny percentage of the talents that he owed. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Oh, by the way, though, I do know this. A denarius, one denarius, is one day's wage. So this guy owed him 100 days' wages, which is quite significant still, but talents are way more than that, all right? So this this parable is not saying, oh, this guy owed you 20 cents. This guy owed a third of a year's wages. This is significant. Um, Sorry, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded him, verse 29, have patience with me and I will pay you. Note how it's written. It's exactly uh, the same kind of picture that this servant had with the king, um, and and this is what was going on. But verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have mercy uh, on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a pretty severe thing. And so as we look into forgiveness, I thought, you know what, I'm going to um, do the clever thing and actually see what the Greek word for forgiveness means. The Greek word for forgiveness is a bit of a silly word. 
in that it has been translated into the English in many, many different ways. The root understanding for the word forgive has the connotation of leaving. You're leaving something. Um, and so in the Bible itself, in Matthew 23, 23, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees that they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. They were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. The word neglect is the same word as the word forgive. Okay, so neglect, forgive. Uh, not quite sure. It gets worse. Mark chapter 1, 34. Um, there were all of these demoniacs, if you will, coming to Jesus, and they were saying, Son of God, what have you got to do with us? And Jesus didn't permit the demons to speak. Didn't permit is the word forgive. So you got permission. You got neglect. You got forgiveness. And it gets worse. <laughs> In Matthew 15, 14, Jesus said, let them alone. And the word alone is the same word for forgive. So forgiveness in the Bible, in the Greek, has a connotation of not permitting or permitting. Somehow permission is at play there. It has a connotation of neglecting. It has a con connotation of being alone. It has a connotation of forgiveness. What does this mean? And I was like wrestling with this. What do you mean, God, when you say that I am to forgive my brother from my heart? Because obviously this is a pretty big deal, God, and I want to know what's happening. Do I leave them alone? Do I neglect them? <laughs> do I not permit them to ever speak in my presence? Is that what forgiveness is all about? I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Until I kind of caught sight of the word debt. Because what I think forgiveness is, is the leaving of a debt that has been owed to us. That's something that we need to understand. When Jesus talks about forgiveness at least twice, as I mentioned in the Lord's Prayer and in this parable, in explaining forgiveness, He says that a debt has been owed. A debt has been owed. And I started to realize that when forgiveness is taking place, there are a couple of things that need to happen. You have to recognize the debt that has been owed. Because that's what you are demanding the other person pay you back. And let me put it this way. If a debt was purely just dollar amounts, at least there is clarity on what is owed. But let's say I have this really amazing um, vase. I love this vase. This vase has huge meaning to me. It was handed down to me. Uh, it's from the Ming Dynasty in 1300, um, you know, by my four, 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 four fathers. And I have this amazing vase and it's valued at a thousand dollars. But it's also, for me, a uh, remembrance that my grandfather... This, uh, this vase doesn't exist. I'm totally making it. But this vase is also a memory for me that my grandfather said that I'm his favorite grandchild. Um, and so this is a really precious vase to me. Now let's say Beck decides that she wants to use this for church decor. In Kit's church, by the way. <laughs> and so she brings this wonderful vase to Kit's church, and some Kit breaks my vase. This vase is worth a thousand dollars. And so Beck's like, you know what, Nate, don't worry, I'll buy you a thousand dollar vase. And she gets me this vase. Does it pay the debt? 
It doesn't pay the debt because that vase is worth more than $1,000 to me. There is a sentiment behind it. There is a value that I've attached to it. And so the debt matters to me because of that sentiment and that value. So I'm like, that is not worth $1,000, Vic. That is worth probably to me a zillion bazillion dollars because of what it is. And if we don't understand the value of what we feel is owed to us, we can end up holding a person ransom for something they don't even know they owe you. And so in conflicts and fights that we have with our friends, family, loved ones, anyone, the problem is not so much what is necessarily literally happening, but is what is being withdrawn from each other in that interaction. Make sense? There is a debt that is being created because of this interaction. You're not listening to me isn't paid back by, well, I'll listen to you now. Because you're not listening to me is saying you're not valuing me and you are pushing down my value and therefore the value that I felt that I lost in that interaction, you owe me. And so when we don't understand how these different interactions matter, when I use a certain tone with Beck, it reminds her of certain uh, things that have happened, maybe, and so uh, to her, it feels like I'm treating her like maybe a little kid. Uh, she is losing dignity. And so I'm like, what's wrong with my tone? This is how I talk to everyone. Doesn't cut the mustard. Because to Beck, there is a debt that is being created that I don't know about, potentially. And so we end up going through life thinking, oh, that person's terrible because that blah, blah, blah. And it's like, does that person even know that they owe you a debt? Does that person know that that mattered to you? And you know what? We've all seen this before. When you say something or you do something that maybe you go, well, yeah, you know what? I possibly should. But that person reacted terribly. Why? Because you touched a place in their heart where they're in poverty. You've touched a part of their heart, a part of their soul that is actually in deficit. There is a debt that has been owed. And so, and I've done this many times as a leader and as a pastor. I'm like, whoa, that's a very big hole. (laughs) There's a lot of debt in there. And I contributed that much. But this person now wants me to fill up the flipping hole. Unforgiveness reminds us that there's a debt that I am having to work with. Unforgiveness reminds me that there have been things that have been taken from me that shouldn't have been taken from me, and normally, legitimately so. <laughs> we, we live in, in a place, in a world with people that withdraw from us without even knowing and sometimes without caring. But if we allow unforgiveness to stay with us, we are holding on to a debt and then we make other people pay for it. <laughs> and say, well, you know what? I'm a victim of this, and so you have got to treat me well. It's like, I wasn't the perpetrator. It's like, it doesn't matter. 
I'm a victim. And it's like, well, you can be a victim and you can have your nice little hole and I'll move on with my life. <laughs> Sorry, wrong story. <laughs> but what stood out to me was this idea that a debt has been created. The problem and the tricky thing is actually knowing what the debt is. What do I feel like I lost in that situation, in that circumstance, in that, in that exchange, in that interaction? And the truth is, sometimes we don't stop long enough to know what we've really lost. I had a conversation with a friend this week who, um, who was dismissed from his workplace, and it was a very difficult situation for my friend. Um, and at the same time, he was a very uh, kind, compassionate, uh, strong Christian who wanted to, to honor this, um, this company for, for employing him for, for about 10 years. And so he was like, no, no, I need, to, I need to show honor. You know, this happened and it wasn't great, but, you know, I actually do love the people there. And so I was like, yes, you can love the people there for 10 years of you know, paying you, looking after you, looking after your family. There's so much good that happened there. But does that mean that that situation was okay? Should that have happened to anyone else? No, something bad happened. And so I opened up this conversation with him and I said, you know, we can talk about it. I'm not going to go anywhere with this. I'm not going to go talk to your old boss. That's not, my, that's not my gear. That's not my job. That's not my role. But you need to acknowledge what has happened to you. And so as he uh, started to think about it, he said, you know what, Nate? It's dignity. What I felt was a loss of dignity. What is owed to me is the fact that I felt that I was treated as a criminal a common criminal when I had served in this place for 10 years. And I was led to think that I had no dignity in this place, no value in this place, that my contribution wasn't something that meant anything. I feel less than human. And so he started to articulate. The loss was a loss of dignity. The debt was that I am a human being and I deserve to be treated with value. Is that legitimate? Absolutely. And so understanding and articulating the debt gave him a place to start to work through this whole process of forgiveness. Because he could now understand that, hey, it is okay that that was not okay. It's okay to say that. You can say that while still being honoring. You can say that while still being respectful. You can say that and still have interactions. You can say that and still love people. You see, without articulating the debt, he didn't know how to relate to anyone from this old company because there was a loss of dignity. And he felt like there was a debt owed to him. And so whenever he was interacting with these people, all of that comes rushing back. And he's like, no, you're not treating me well. This is not okay. But the more he went, no, that episode created a debt of dignity. So what am I going to do about it? So when we recognize the debt that has been owed to us, we then have a choice and we then have a process of working with it. Now, the Bible tells us something extremely interesting that I don't think has been taught to me well before. And that is that the biblical kingdom model of forgiveness 
requires that the other person repents and that you reconcile after that. Note this. It says this. What does the king do? The king literally was going to chuck this, sell this guy, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything he had in order that payment be made. This is supposed to represent Heavenly Father. Get it into your heads. God the gracious, God the merciful, demanded full payment, if not consequences. This is not a gimme. There is a system, there is a process, there is justice in the kingdom of God. And when something is not right and there is a debt that has been created, it must be paid. But we read on and we see that when this servant comes to the king and falls to his knees, now he doesn't even ask that the debt be paid, he asks for patience to pay back the debt. There is what we call repentance. He's going, hey, hey, I've done a lot of bad things, I've done things to create this debt, now I'm going to do things to pay back the debt. Now, God is gracious in that even though this servant probably doesn't deserve forgiveness and probably, you know, is already gracious to allow this guy time to pay back his crazy debt that he probably won't be able to pay back. And so the king goes, there's repentance, I'm going to forgive the debt. I want to show this to you in another place. That in Luke chapter 17, verse 3 to 4, it says this, Pay attention to yourself. This is Jesus talking. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But it says, if he says that he repents... It doesn't say that you go around just going like, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you, it's all fine, I've got so much to give everyone. No, it says, if you rebuke them and they repent. That's not what I was taught to me. I was taught that if I'm a good Christian, someone hurts me, I forgive. Someone hurts me, I forgive. Someone hurts me. You know how many Christians are in crazy debt? Because you keep forgiving sins and you don't know how to get any payment back. A debt is often legitimate. Now, if you're a seedy businessman and you're having some pyramid scheme, the debt is on your head, you idiot. But I'm saying that in normal interactions, I've been treated unkindly, unjustly, unfairly, and that affects my sense of worth and value, and I am due payment and God sets up his kingdom such that you can take responsibility for that and go, that was not okay. And if the person repents, then you say, dead cleared. Why I'm talking about this is because I believe that this is the gold standard of the kingdom. I believe that there's so many churches where people in their emotions are telling themselves that I am meant to forgive, but don't know how to talk about the debt that they received. They are not asking and demanding that someone else recognize that they have made a fault and that they learn to repent and to pay back that fault. And so we end up with lousy relationships because we are full of people with a lot of debt in their hearts and are not trusting and reconciling. 
Why I believe that this is so important for the kingdom of God is because God demands that we have a kingdom full of people who have large hearts that are not concerned so much about debt, but concerned about relating. We can say that we forgive, but then we need to learn how to have that paid back. And often, often, in a healthy kingdom of God situation, the other person is a part of that replacing of the debt. You see, when a person repents and says, I made a mistake, there's something in me that goes, oh, yes, that was a problem. You know, it was really strange. A few weeks, months ago, we came across someone who, when COVID hit, they just disappeared. They ghosted us, literally. And it happens too often, church. Christians, ghosting is rude. It's stupid, and I will slap you upside down <laughs> because it's not okay. That was two years of silence, man, two years of silence. And this person, Beck and I met at the shops one day, randomly. And, and this person came up to us and said, how I left Lyft was not okay. I need to apologize for that. And I was like, oh, no, it's okay, it's okay. But I was like, oh. that's why I was fired. Oh. <laughs> Because I thought I did something wrong. I thought that my pastoring wasn't good enough. I thought that I hadn't tried hard enough. I thought that my work wasn't received well enough. And when you said that that was not good enough, I was like, it was, I was gonna. <laughs> something in me was like, this is, yes! <laughs> Dignity was given to me because that other person apologized. Isn't that how the kingdom of God should operate? Not me going like, I need to forgive. And being all like small because you feel the weight of that debt that you have to carry for other people. Instead of going to them and saying, that was not okay. I treated you well and you treated me like rubbish and that's not okay. This is how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate. Repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, gold standard. However, that makes it hard though, doesn't it? Because I've come across situations where the hurt that has happened, there isn't really a person that, you, that owes you something. So you, you're, you're, you're kind of like, someone owes me! And it often turns out to be God, isn't it? God, you owe me! God, you repent, God. And I've sat with people that are angry with their dead parents. And what do you do about that? You go to the graveside, you owe me. Come out of the grave and say sorry, and then you can go into your eternal rest again. And what do we do about that? It's a hard question. See, the gold standard of the kingdom shouldn't be watered down because sometimes the standard is too hard. Just like the standard of marriage, according to the Bible, should be upheld even though it's hard. 
You know that when Jesus told the disciples that, you know, uh, being uh, faithful to one wife, that's the standard of the kingdom, the disciples were, that's too hard, Jesus. Did Jesus say, oh, you know what? It is hard, isn't it? <laughs> All right, you can have three wives. <laughs> did Jesus water down marriage for our humanity or did he say, no, 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 this is a standard, you try to live by it? So there is a standard of forgiveness that we need to live by and not water down, but we also need to understand that it's not always possible. It's definitely not easy, but it's necessary. But I think that the Bible also describes a different kind of forgiveness that is given to us because of our humanity. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he says, Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. There was no repentance taking place in that moment. They know not what they do. It's like, was that? Oh, you want more torture? Let me fill this sponge with wine vinegar and put it to your lips. So Jesus talks about a forgiveness even though there's no repentance. And it goes on, and there's another passage in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, and it says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And so I wrestled with this, because I was like, hang on. There isn't the repentance step in this. It is just between me and God. And then I realized that Jesus' interaction about forgiveness and this interaction about forgiveness is an interaction between me and God. See, I believe that we need to deal with the horizontal, if you will, with my situation, with the debt that is happening between me and other human beings. But then there is also a, a vertical, that there's, there's something about forgiveness between me and God that I can deal with. And I wrestle with that, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think it comes down to this. We allow God to pay the debt. See, there are times that we are not able to get that debt paid by someone else. And in this world, I would say, that happens all the time. It's true. It's a real thing. It's a real issue. And when you are not able to live out the gold standard and be able to say, hey, that really hurt and that was not okay and receive that payment back through that repentance and have that reconciliation. When that can't happen, we bring that debt to God. And I would say even before you go rebuke someone else, it's still good to have this chat with God and say, God, something was taken from me. You see, this second one, it says, whenever you stand praying, whenever, whenever, anytime you pray, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Because I think God likes highlighting your debt. Because He doesn't like His kids living with debt. I think that Father God has a real issue when all His kids are running up massive debts. And no one's paying any of it. No one's filling up that gap, that hole. It's a real issue. And so I think when we pray, when we are in communion with God, God starts to show us, hey, there's an issue there. 
You're holding a debt that they can't pay, and so you are paying for it. So it's already been taken from you, and you're still trying to pay for it. With what? With what resource? With your dignity was taken from you. Oh, pay for it with more dignity. How stupid does that sound? But we do it all the time. I'll, I'll be more in control. I will never let anyone hurt me again. That is not paying the debt. That is leaving the debt in your heart and creating more debt because you start to think that no one loves you, no one cares for you, you're not deserving of community. And you go, I'm going crazy. Yes, you are. Because of the debt, it needs to be paid. And there's only one person that can always pay the debts. And he's already paid ours. And so when we come to him and we forgive, what we say, God, I know that you've already given me more than I deserve. And you're able to give exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. But I need to give this to you, don't I? The repentance that is taking place is actually in here. Because the thing about going to someone and asking them to repent is not about vengeance. The Bible is extremely clear about this. I knew I needed, I forgot about it, but I looked it up. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So me going to someone and rebuking them for something that was not okay is not so that I get them to pay, because that's vengeance. Rather, the heart of a rebuke is reconciliation. So what do I do with that need, that desire for vengeance? It goes to God. This is probably a terrible analogy in so many ways, but I learned about this a while ago, that banks and other places that have this debt, they will sell their debt to someone else to collect. And then that person becomes the debt collector. It actually can happen in this world. And I wonder if that's a kind of a picture of what's going on. It's like, God, I, I, I can't collect on this debt. And God's like, okay, let me. And then you truly go, fill this debt, God. The reconciliation is what we yearn for, but the vengeance is what we leave. The wholeness is what we pursue And the debt is what we leave. It's hard when you've been hurt, when debt has been accumulated in your soul. It's hard. It's hard sometimes because you're talking about an emotional, a soul, a dignity, an esteem, a worth question that is in there. And when something has been withdrawn from there, it's hard to trust that that debt can be paid. And the thing is that we often have fantasies of how that debt should be paid. I didn't have that, so now I'm going to have this. It, it, it doesn't work, people. I didn't have a childhood, so now I'm going to be a child and 
being, you know, I really hurt myself. <laughs> it doesn't work. You're accumulating more debt. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> you know, the kid that I never had sugar when I was a kid, so now I'm having all the sugar I want. It's like, is that, does that work? Does that help anyone? Is that healthy? Is it, is that, I, I think you've gone three times over your sugar debt. <laughs> See, what happens when we feel like we lack is that we go into excess. Yeah. It's stupid. We do it. I do it. We have these stupid ways of thinking that our world will work if I do this. It's like, no, no, deal with the debt, people. But dealing with the debt is not easy. I'm not here to say, come on, guys, just live debt-free, and just go to God, and God will heal it, and in one moment, you're all good. No, the hard work is actually acknowledging that you have debt and, and recognizing what that debt is and going, God, I don't know how you mean to fulfill this, but God, I'm going to let you do this for me. And so I can release this person from my vengeance Lord, that you're going to look after this. I found it really weird and difficult when I used to think about that whole thing of like, God's like, vengeance is mine. I just see Batman. (laughs) God is Batman. Vengeance is mine. I was like, that's weird. But then I realized that if God doesn't take care of vengeance, there's no healing. If God doesn't take care of justice, none of us will be healed. None of us can accept wholeness. So I'm going to get the band up this morning. I really feel like this morning is one of those mornings where we can stand with God and allow Him to highlight things that we might be holding on to. In this case, debt that we're holding on to because of what we've experienced, what has happened to us. Some of you from here will need to live according to the golden standard of the kingdom and ask someone else and tell someone else that they really hurt you and to find reconciliation. That's going to be hard. Get help. Work with people around this. You've got a family here. And someone can stand with you and say, hey, let's work this out. Because you're not going for vengeance. You're going after reconciliation. That's the gold standard. But for many of us, we also just need to be able to just go, God, I feel so empty. Feel like something so important or so much of what is important to me was taken and I'm feeling so empty. God, by your grace and by your mercy, I want to trust that you can fill that space. You know why we need to hear stories like Eva's? It's because it reminds us that we serve a good father, that we have a benevolent, caring, present, heavenly Father that is able to restore and able to heal. And I've said this so many times, but I know that sometimes for me as well, it's like, man, I really want to take this debt into my own hands. That's what that, second serv- that's what that servant did. 
He found someone who owed him something and exerted control and power over them in order to feel something of worth inside here. That's not what God allows us to do. Isn't that what we do? We love it when our debts are cancelled. But we don't like it when someone owes us something. And I think releasing that debt is scary because it's saying, I'm not in control of this. I don't know how this is going to work out. To release this is difficult. And it makes me feel smaller. The truth is, it makes you bigger. It fills you up all the more. Because God is there and His, work, His storehouses are, are full. There's enough. So can we stand up this morning? I'm going to close in prayer. And then, if you just need to stand with God and pray, if you just need this moment, go do that. But can I also say that I think that God wants us to be praying for people because sometimes with this debt, we almost need someone else to be hearing us and to be standing with us as we want this debt removed from our lives. A part of it is the prayer and the, heal, uh, 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 the praying from someone else that you know, is an impartation of healing. That's what I believe. But sometimes it's also just recognizing that someone else sees me and hears me as part of my journey with God. And so we're going to be here with you for that. If you want prayer for anything, if, if there's a sense of debt that you've accumulated in your soul and in your heart, and you want to come to God and at the very least begin the process, then why don't you come forward so that we know who we can pray for. But the band's going to set this place as a place where you can just stand with God and allow Him to speak, to highlight relationships that are broken that maybe He wants you to be active in. So let me pray and we'll close from there. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are such a wonderful God. I thank you that you are so willing to release and to forgive my debts when I come to you. I thank you, God, that even though I owed you things that I would never in a million lifetimes be able to pay back, but God, you are still willing to forgive. And God, through that, God, I pray that you help us to find healing and wholeness through forgiveness this morning, God. I pray that, God, for those who are in this moment struggling and wrestling with things inside of their heart, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are their comforter and you are their strength, that you are able to journey with them through this process. I thank you that you're able to fill the void, fill the gap, pay that debt, in full, so they can live with the fullness of life that you've given to us. I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.